0: Ben Kumba from BTN. Okay,
1: got you. How's Ben? Ben's good. Lockdown life is mostly good. Did have a wobble, did have a minor breakdown at one point. But I think everyone probably had their breakdown at some point. It just took me 10 weeks to have it.
0: That's pretty good going. And uh, a baby along the way. So,
1: Yeah, well, the baby was at the start of lockdown. I think like uh, I think we had our baby 31st of March, and lockdown happened like about then. It was like two days afterwards, yeah. or something ridiculous like that. How is she? She's amazing, absolute yeah. amazing little bundle of joy. Yeah, beautiful.
0: Good, good, good. Well, first, congrats on that. Um, so obviously, I, I reached out and I, I said that over a message, but I wanted to say it again. Um, tell me about about lockdown for you. What, what's been what's been different? How? Because you said to me you do quite a lot of work from home anyway. So what's been different for you? What caused the wobble?
1: Uh, The wobble was just me, I think, taking on too much, like not being aware of how being a dad, you know, might affect me. Also, just not having some time off. I think loads of us have fallen foul of the fact that lockdown happened. We got into a pattern. We were working from home and sort of like every day was the same. And if you were going to take holiday, it was like, well, what do you do? There's nothing you can do. So I might as well just keep going through the grind. And actually, it was a pretty bad way to handle it. So, you know, I was pretty good. I just took a week off and most of the things sorted themselves out. Um, There was a couple of things I needed to address, but quite a lot happened in my personal life. It was quite a lot to take on. We had quite a few family issues. We had a health scare we had some family pass away from COVID. So like, actually to my credit, quite a lot of stuff happened and yeah. I was just good at putting on a brave face and like, yeah, I'm fine and all the rest of it. And obviously that's not a healthy way to go about it. Like if you're struggling, you should say you're struggling. You should, you know, confide in people, like give yourself the space to be able to grieve or be frustrated or whatever. So, um, yeah, it just, I, woke up one day opened my laptop screen and just like stared at it with a blank brain and at that point I just thought I'm taking a week off I cleared my diary and just
0: walked away from work good for you do You know what? that takes a huge amount to to do that because it's like you said it's so easy for us to just go I'm just in a battle on hard work prevails and I'll get it done and it's so easy to fall into that mindset especially when you work for yourself
1: mm. oh definitely um but You know, you've got, uh, you know, hopefully we learn from these situations and you've got to have the future foresight to say, you know, every couple of weeks, I do need a day or two off. I do need to recharge. Um, So lockdown, I think, forced a lot of people out of their normal pattern. And hopefully it's shown us what we need in the future. I personally go on holiday like every two months. So whether it's abroad, go down to Cornwall or work takes me abroad. So I usually have that natural like breakup of flow, but because of lockdown and having a baby, I just sort of got into this
0: daily routine and just bit me after 10 weeks. Yeah. yeah. Well, fair play. Getting 10 weeks is good. It's, do you know, it's, it's an interesting. I think the, the process, like you said, of lockdown seemed to be first two weeks. Let me have a massive panic about how I replicate what I've been doing now and how I managed to do that. And, and, um keep going with how i was going and actually it's a whole new normal so you should have to rethink how you deliver things and how you converse with people and what your timings at work might be and all that sort of stuff but too many of us just went and said to keep on plowing on um it was exactly the same process i was already doing um, but it's and i think it's also easy to forget that because maybe most m- most people um particularly early on were not touched by issues that were going on it's very easy to forget in your household that there is a massive global pandemic going on and people are losing their lives and it is something that needs to be addressed um so i've heard so many people that have been oh i can't do this or i can't do that and i can't go to the gym and and yet you're forgetting why
1: Mm. well i mean yeah yeah well things are easing now so hopefully life will get back to some semblance of normality. So we'll see how that will truly affect the fitness industry as we go through the next sort of three to six months, I think will be quite interesting. Um, You know, I still think it's going to affect a fair amount of people. I know a lot of people are making do and, you know, hacking the system. But, you know, gyms are going to get, get open. It's going to be far from ideal. It's not what people are going to want, you know. So I think it's a fascinating time for fitness.
0: Yeah, I agree, and I think we we'll have to overcome and like adapt to what the <clears throat> environment is. But you know, I was thinking the same thing. You know, I think was it yourself? You said about the the restrictions being a hundred square foot um, per member that's in the building for for fitness facilities. That's one of the things I read that jumped out to me. So, so you think about your small hotel gyms or PT studios, it's quite an ask um, to remain safe. Quotes. Um, with that sort of restriction in place so i think places are doing their best and and it will be interesting but i think a lot of people are going to have to figure out how exactly they're going to going to move forward but we will i'm sure we will
1: mm. yeah the industry well the industry has to like everyone's in a mode of we'll call it survival and people are going to have to work out a new form of survival and then potentially a new form of thriving you know at the beginning of lockdown i encouraged a huge amount of coaches to Get online, create communities, provide for their clients. A lot of people listened that were savvy and and really made a lot of it. And then some people, and I'll be honest, you know, I think the industry will whittle out some of the, the people that aren't good enough at coaching, which aren't adaptable. And I think maybe people that are in that situation do need to, you know, just question the quality of them as a coach because ultimately. If you're a great coach and you have great clients, they should be following you. They should be doing stuff. And that's kind of what I've seen. But also the coaches that I tend to have seen struggle are the ones that have not in the past been as business savvy. And that is a shortcoming of the fitness industry as a whole. Coaches are not taught enough and don't proactively go and learn enough about business because when you're self-employed, well, it's down to you. If you work in a gym, you know, it's still, there's an element of it's down to you. So business co- skills are important. Coaching skills are important. Communication skills are important. Understanding behavior in change environment. All of these skills go way beyond like your
0: level three and all of that stuff. Do you think a lot of that is learned or do you think some of it is innate?
1: I think some of it is, of course, innate, but it can all be learned. Can all of those skills be learn to you know a level where you would sort of really stand out in all of those skill areas no but do you need to no it's like marketing as a coach there's loads of ways to market the business your business as a coach do you need to do all of them no do the marketing approaches that go well with your skills so if you present your work well and speak well then it might be great for you to get on video and do social media or go and do local talks or network. But if you're not good at that and you're good at the written word, then maybe have like an email list or maybe write letters to local businesses or maybe like, it just doesn't matter. There's skills out there that everyone can use, but you're going to have to get the basics right when it comes to running a personal training business. Like there's fundamentals you can't skip around if you want to thrive as a coach rather than just survive. So there's a lot of people that aren't making their business work or for whatever reason, lose interest, become frustrated, etc. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there, but I genuinely believe if you become great at your job, you get results and you're earning well. If you're doing a good job and you're enjoying it and you're getting well remunerated for that work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: And I mean, we've obviously, we've, you've been doing this a long time. I've been doing this a long time. And you go through different phases and different um, whether you work at a club as a PT or an instructor. Probably, you know, when we both started, it was mainly instructing. Um, and then you kind of move through the chain and maybe you go self-employed and, and whatever. Um, but there's there's so many. I was talking to her students today about the business side of being a PT and what the options are. And, you know, in terms of of the main options you've got the health clubs and then you've got, um, private studios and you've got online and you've got one-to-one and you've got in-house and so on. Um, what was your journey in that, in that sort of process? What did, how did you start and get to where to obviously it's a long journey, but where you got to now?
1: Yeah. So I'm 34. I started as a self-employed personal trainer when I was 20. I probably took the hard route. I ended up going self-employed in a PT studio but that's because I had a friend who uh, started up a studio after becoming frustrated with the commercial gym business, wanted to have his own space. So he offered me a job because I'd literally just done a load of PT courses. And initially I did PT courses because I wanted to actually just train myself better because of my journey of going from obese to slim. And it was him that then said, like, you know, why don't you come and work with me? You've got the skills. I like you. I think your values and ethics are in the right place. Like, come and work for us. So I worked there for nine months. Like, I did okay. But I was, to be honest, kind of too much just enjoying training and just sort of like, you know, like just being a fitnessy guy. And, you know, my marketing efforts were pretty slim. Like, I put out a leaflet in the local businesses and I'd network a little bit. And that was kind of it. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't put in enough effort to complain that I had not many clients. Um, After about nine months, I started to get itchy feet. I felt that my career would and could advance itself quite quickly. I wanted to experience life. I lived in a very small town and fitness wise, there wasn't a lot happening. Like you had sort of like two major gyms at the time, like two studios. That was it. That was the fitness industry in my town to 12 years ago, 14 years ago. Um, so I went to uni, studied sports performance and coaching. And at that point, I just went all in to like, fitness and learning. I worked in pro sport. I coached kids while I was at uni as a as a part-time job. I worked as a personal trainer in a fitness first gym. I ran health and fitness retreats because I applied for a job to teach them and I got it. So I ran retreats in like Portugal, South Africa, all sorts of places. And then in my second year of uni, I started my first online business. So that would be when I was 22. And I did that because I saw an email go around in the uh, university ecosystem. And I sort of went and had a chat and I'd kind of had this idea about just doing something different. I didn't really know what that was. I was just open to ideas. And I went into the business center and they were like, all of that fitness stuff, why don't you do it online? And I was like, "Mm, yeah, that's maybe a good idea. And obviously, like 13 years ago, that was pretty novel, like not a huge amount of people were doing it. So that then made me catch the bug from the age of, uh so 22, that was to like 26. I always maintained being a part-time personal trainer. That was like my bread and butter job, did a couple of boot camps, did a couple of one-to-ones and always worked like 15 to 18 hours a week. But on the other side of it, I was always doing the online. I was building it. Da, 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 da. And then it was like, 25 26 years old I started to really make a dent online started to start to write for men's health started to get a number one rated podcast then moved um, full-time into coaching online which was what originally BTN was and then in 2013 it became an education company when I decided that I wanted to make bigger impact in the industry and teach trainers and stuff And then I entered into the supplement space in 2016. So, you know, people might look at me and go, oh, you know, you've achieved some great things. You've done loads of stuff. But I've been in the industry like quite a while. When you commit to an industry and you commit to personal development all the time, like you're going to get to a good spot. Like I've consistently applied a lot of effort and I've got to a fairly decent place, but I've got skin in the game.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And and the thing is, you need to you've been honest along the way of actually I didn't put effort in there. That's why it didn't work. And it's easy to blame the gym or to blame the environment or the clients or it's not a busy place or whatever. Um, But it's a case of sometimes going, "Hmm, what am I doing that's not making sense and not working for me Um, and always trying to rectify that. So it's, it's, it's about being able to be honest with it. How do you go about like goal setting? Cause I'm assuming you started your online business. You had no idea you were going to end up educating and opening a supplements company. So how do you, do you just recognize opportunities and go, yeah, I'll do that. Or is that always in the plan?
1: I think it's a mixture. I think you've got to have uh, something that you're working towards, but you've got to be open to opportunity and change because you just don't know what's going to come along. You don't know who you're going to meet. You don't know how the industry is going to change. So like COVID, I can imagine it's made some people think differently about their business. I can imagine it's made some people go online and go, actually, quite enjoying this online thing and quite enjoying doing virtual classes in my garden, you know, with my dog. So that's being opportunity, you know, being open to those opportunities. So I've always been a visual goal setter. Um, In the early days, I always had a massive piece of like A2 paper. I drew a diagonal line from the bottom corner to the top corner and I used to write my goals on it on a timeline and attach a picture to it to create a visual and sort of emotive attachment to that goal. So I remember um, a year where I was just starting to do fairly decent online and one of my goals was by April I could buy myself a secondhand computer, an Apple Mac Um, because my computer was dying. Like I built my business on this tiny little notebook thing. It had like a 10 inch screen. It was ridiculous. (laughs) It was crap. It didn't work. And I set this goal. I was like, right, I'm going to earn enough money that I can buy myself a secondhand refurbished Apple Mac. And I did, you know, I set it as a goal. I achieved it. Um, And I remember later on that year, I set a similar goal to do with a car. Like at the time, I couldn't afford a car. And I was like, right, I'm going to get, you know, 2,000 pounds together and buy myself a new like Volkswagen polo, or, you know, whatever. So I was always visual. Um, but I was always open to opportunity. Um, one of the things I've never done in my career is maxed out my work. So that it didn't allow for opportunity. So that was one of the reasons why I was always like a part-time personal trainer. I've never done a 40 hour working week of personal training in my life. And I personally have literally got no interest because yep. I want to do other things. I want to experience other things. I want multiple sources of income. I've always wanted that. So, you know, I could allow myself that flexibility. So like with the the fitness retreat thing, a guy came along and he was like, do you want to apply for this job? I'm like, yeah. And I had the flexibility to be able to go, well, I don't need to rely on that income because I haven't banked everything on it. So I'll take my online business, still earn a bit, but then go and do this kind of retreat thing. So, you know, now I still goal set. Now I'm still open to opportunity. The opportunities are a bit different now. My business is extremely different to what it was like five years ago and 10 years ago. Like I run a pretty big company now. I have quite a few staff. There's quite a lot of responsibility. There's quite a lot of stuff that happens every day. But again, that's just evolution. That's just me changing, me evolving, and I find it exciting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think God, what I've probably known you five years, six, something like that. Yeah. Um, And it's it's changed since then. Like we, I remember we 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 borrowed one of your coaches to help us on a on a open day um, to talk about certain types of nutrition for stage preparedness, Mm -hmm. um, for bodybuilding and bikini shows. And that was that was his main thing um, at the time I don't know if it's different now you were you have specific coaches who are running your courses, and you if I was interested in um, nutrition around team sports, then you would suit me with a coach that would be that way. Is that still the way you do things?
1: No, because we don't run the nutrition coaching side of our business, but you're correct I built an online nutrition coaching business that was big enough and had enough interest that we had 12 specialist coaches. So if you came to me and said, I'm interested in endurance, I'd be like, Oh, you need to go and speak to Alex. He's our endurance guy. Um, And it was cool. We built probably one of the, the internets at the time, biggest ever online coaching nutrition, you know, services. But again, I just wanted to evolve the business. I felt the industry had changed again online training started to become a thing so there was less opportunity we could stand out more and there was also a lot of personal trainers that started to follow my work and I thought well can I help these people could I move the industry forward what's next and that's when I decided to go into education
0: and what in terms of the education what things because I often tell people they come to me and say I want to do a nutrition course where should I go and I tend to just go go and speak to Ben. Um, but what what are your course offerings? Are there are there's there entry level ones? Have you got to be qualified as a trainer to take them? How do they all work? Let people know.
1: Just two levels: foundation. Uh, we recommend everyone starts there if possible, just because as a coach, if you don't understand some of the science and the evidence base when it comes to like physiology, behavior change, like you're going to struggle with some of the more complex topics. So we have a foundation academy. It's not a great deal of money. Um, You know, quite often we've got maybe an offer. It's like 300 quid or whatever. And it's self-guided learning and people get stuck in and they learn the fundamentals. And then we have our next course, which is the Practical Academy, which is a year long. If people want to become an incredible nutrition coach, like really well-versed, really understand people, really understand the science and how to be a very critical thinker, then it's an incredible course. Um, it's now one of the only level four nutrition coaching qualifications that exists. It's only one of two. Uh, we created the original framework. So we were the first ever company uh, to do it. And they're the only two offerings. And I'd you know, hand on heart say that if you did wanna be a nutrition coach or uh, a nutritionist, um, a lot of people generally look at university. I don't think university is adequate in turning you into a good coach because it's very theory-based. And I've been there and I've experienced what it's like to learn nutrition at university. We need practicality, you need theory, you need evidence, you need understanding of all of that. I'm not skipping around that, but you have to learn about people, about behavior, about all the different situations you're gonna come up against, male, female, old, young, menopause, perimenopause, Team sports like endurance, like there's a lot when it comes to people's goals. So it's really important to understand as a coach how you kind of genuinely bespoke that for people if you want to be that kind of you know level of coach.
0: Yeah, Nice no, it's it's, in, it's interesting. We we you know like you say that the the qualification that you offer as a PT in in terms of the level three, it's it's dipping your toe in, right, and you're largely dependent on who is teaching your course, whether it's their level of expertise or their area of expertise. You've got a syllabus, you've got to cover that. Let's see what else we can cover. But again, it's, it's stuff where you're sort of saying, we have to stay in our lane in terms of this aspect. But it's an enormous aspect um, of anybody's success in, in their exercise and you know, aesthetic goals or um, health goals or whatever. It's an enormous aspect. And we're great at telling people, this is how you train, but not necessarily. This is how you fuel that training. This is how you recover from it. This is what you should be eating for vitality and for any of these different things. And, um, it's often skipped over, I think, uh, in in favor of just let's train harder, um, which is a shame.
1: Yeah, I think it is. And I'll be honest, coaching behavior change is tough. It also takes a lot of patience from a coach. And if you think, I'm just going to guess, I don't actually know the statistics, but I can imagine the average age of a personal trainer is probably about, I'm going to say, 26 at a guess. Like you walk into most commercial gyms, most trainers run 30, you know, if not under 25. So actually being patient, being compassionate, being understanding, knowing people's pain, like it actually takes quite a lot to go through those coaching stages and clients want results quickly. So we have to manage that as a coach and a coach wants to speed someone through the process as quickly as possible to get results. But the reality is, is some stuff takes a huge amount of time. I've coached clients where, you know, it's taken me months to unwind their mindset and their behaviors around food, like habits that they've had in their home for like 20 or 30 years this isn't a quick fix, some of this stuff. Like it really it takes real patience. So actually engaging in that takes a real commitment from the coach to say, I'm gonna take this person on a journey. I'm not just gonna give them a training plan and give them a you know a diet plan. I'm genuinely gonna take this person on a journey. And you know, if I think back to when I was a coach and I was twenty-four, I wasn't that coach. hand on heart, I wasn't that coach. I was, I was, I was, I'm going to say, 60 to 70% genuinely interested in that coach, uh, in that client, sorry. But I was quite interested in just, you know, training myself and having a bit of fun and doing the fitness stuff and getting on social media and doing videos, you know, and it wasn't until I really understood what genuine, amazing coaching is, it made me really appreciate how much You genuinely have to care about that client. Yeah. And that was a shortcoming of me because I was immature.
0: What flipped that for you, though? What made you suddenly wake up and go, I get it now?
1: I started to realise that the mindset component of coaching was literally the most fundamental aspect. Like unwinding what's happening in people's brains and how they behave is the hard bit. So when I was constantly, you know, applying my techniques and getting... 30 40% of my clients genuinely great results I was obviously sitting there questioning like why aren't 100% of my clients getting results why aren't 100% of my clients following the plans well it's because my plan's too strict I haven't really listened to them I haven't accounted for the stress that they've got going on at home I've maybe maybe made it unachievable I haven't made it flexible enough so it's kind of me being really reflective and saying why aren't I good enough why aren't I getting these results? Why is that guy getting better results than me? Um, And then I started to really get into kind of mindset coaching. And that was where I did a lot of work on myself as an individual and how much I was even aware of these problems, how much of it was kind of maturity, how much of it was awareness, how much of it was my approach, how much of it was my own ego getting in the way of my coaching. Um, And then it started to sort of Unwind itself probably over a course of about 18 months, where I just all I went and learned was about mindset and behavioral psychology. That's fantastic
0: to even to be able to recognize that at 24 25 is 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 testament to be fair because that's not an easy thing, especially the last thing you said there was ego getting in the way. It's very easy to think that we are the finished product, isn't it?
1: Definitely, and for a long time I thought I was the finished product,
0: but I
1: held myself in high enough regard that and I had enough skin in the game that I wanted to keep developing and me continuing to go on courses that were all like learning more and more about the nuances of training was probably allowing me to affect five percent of my clients because most clients just wanted to be fit and healthy but all the things that they were struggling with was sticking to their diet plan accountability changing habits in the home difficult conversations with their partner, all of that kind of stuff. So it was like, well, I need to go and work. I need to go and learn about this stuff. Like if I can't help my client here, then I'm not going to be a good enough coach.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I mean, is there? Is there, I know it's going to be very individual and that's probably going to be your answer, but is there like an initial guidance? If you've got someone that says, listen, I just don't know where to begin. Like what do you, how do you begin that process with them? Have you got a formula that you kind of get right first thing I want you to do is X. How do you begin?
1: You begin by asking the client what they think they can do to reach their goal or be one step closer to their goal tomorrow so what you started to say there is your opinion on what you think they should do to get one closer to their goal so one of the big things that we teach is sort of motivational interviewing te- techniques and client led coaching so if I've got Jane, for example, who's struggling, she's like, I just don't know where to start. I might say to Jane, Jane, last time you went on a diet and it was really successful, what do you think you did that gave you the most or, you know, biggest bang for your buck? Like what do you think one thing led to the biggest outcome? And she might be, well, actually it was really good. When I set my alarm half an hour early in the day which meant I could get up, prepare breakfast, do a good lunch, and I felt it really set me up for the day. And I might say, Jane, do you think we could start by doing that tomorrow? Yeah, I think I could. Actually, I've got into the bad habit of sleeping through my alarm. Cool, Jane, for the next week, let's just do that. So I haven't enforced my opinion. I haven't told her what I think she could, should do. I've just found a past success asked her what that success was, asked her if she could do it. She's then self-committed to that process that she can do it. And the chances are she can go away and do it. And it's just one change that will probably lead to another three or four positive other behavioral changes, better breakfast, better lunch, better motivation. And she'll probably inadvertently fill up a two liter water bottle to take with her that day just from setting her alarm earlier she'll probably go to bed earlier as well exactly because she knows she has to so without me saying to her jane you need to go to bed early jane you need to drink more water jane you need to get up and have breakfast the next day which is already overwhelming we've picked up one habit led by her that will lead to loads of other positive habits that's the power of coaching and asking the right questions
0: that's fantastic. And if, if people can take away one thing from listening to this podcast, that's, that's, that's a massive um, positive they can take, I think, because we all like to think that we've thought of the idea that's made us change, right? So she, Jane's come up with that idea almost on her own. And just, you just pushed her in the right direction. I think that's fantastic. Um, I love that. I love that, Ben. Um, what do you, what made nutrition like i know we've sort of talked about it was the missing link for you before but what what did you, how did you start in terms of nutrition in your career because you were a pt then you did the coach inside at university where did nutrition suddenly enter your um, main business
1: i personally just found it's just always the thing that has made the most impact to my life so i was obese as a kid had quite a few food problems it was obviously the food that made me obese So it was the thing that changed me the most when I decided to change. So in the background, it was just always the thing that was just like make or break. So I think as I started to learn and I started to go on these courses, it just reinforced the fact that nutrition was just such a massive, massive component of this. People only exercise three, four, maybe five times a week. And let's just say they do it for an hour. But people eat three, four, five, six, seven times a day and their lifestyle is something they're living all the time. So I think through personal interest, uh, part of my transformation and then just constantly seeing it reinforced with my clients and coaching. It just embedded how important nutrition was
0: in change. And would you go would you go you know, far in terms of, um, I know it's, it, you know, it's, it's coaching client led. Would you go far in terms of, um, differentiation? I've read obviously a lot of your content, social media and stuff like that. Would, are you one of these coaches that will say, listen, let's ditch the white bread and go with the brown bread. Or are we, are we doing that level of detail with people? Are we really finding them the ability to make decisions for themselves?
1: You have to teach a client to be autonomous Um, you know, if you're going in at the top going, swap white bread for brown bread, you're probably missing the wood from the trees, like you need to start way more macro in terms of the picture. The chances are when someone starts to get into a healthy mindset and starts to make these changes themselves, they'll probably already start choosing white brown bread over white bread, because they'll be in the supermarket going, I'm trying to be healthy. I'm trying to do the right thing. I think I should choose this. So rather than being told what we want to be doing as coaches is lead them towards behavior that inadvertently makes these decisions for themselves. Good. It's
0: it's always interesting to me. You speak to different people in terms of this sort of prescription and it's at times it's hard for, for a trainer to separate themselves from here's my exercise prescription, which generally is very prescriptive to here is my nutritional philosophy, if you will, and I'm now stepping away from being so prescriptive and trying to get you to be autonomous. But the big difference, obviously, is that I can prescribe to you an exercise when I'm with you. I'm not with you all the time when you eat it. So it's a massive, massive difference, right?
1: Yeah. The thing with exercise is it has to be fairly prescriptive because most people want like a certain goal. So like if you want to be fit, and let's just say people want to be like cardiovascular fit, then you're going to have to progressively work towards running faster or longer, swimming faster or longer, etc. With nutrition, it's a lot wider and broader. So if someone wants to lose weight, they just need to eat less. There's obviously loads of different ways that we can eat less, but it all leads to the same outcome. With training, that doesn't happen. Like You can't lift weights and really push your cardiovascular fitness. Yeah, you'll get fitter cardiovascularly from lifting weights, but there'll be a ceiling to that. So um, that's where kind of some people struggle because they they kind of want this rigidity. They want this strictness like they get with training. But it causes most people to fall foul of their own diet over time because rigidity with your nutrition isn't fun. Doesn't allow you to go out and enjoy your diet with friends and family and eating out and having an ice cream now and again. But that's where education is important. Like the amount of trainers that are not educating their clients to be autonomous and understand food is shocking. A client shouldn't go through five different trainers and then on the sixth trainer be like, oh, I need a diet plan. None of those trainers have taught that client about food, none of those trainers have empowered that client. That's bad training. Like I always prided myself when I had a PT client that literally within six months, they don't need me. They know how to train. They know how to eat. They know how to be healthy. They just stayed with me with the training because they enjoyed it. I pushed them. I made them accountable. I changed things up. But if I died, if I fall through a black hole and I couldn't train them anymore, they knew what to do. They were empowered. They were autonomous. They knew.
0: Yeah. Love that. It's, it's always a thing. I remember talking to people, and this is way back, but talking to people when I was working at the gym, and it would be a case of, you know, all gyms have this sort of process. You have an induction, and then as a trainer, you're hoping to upsell personal training. That's the process. Um, and it would be a case of, well, I'm not going to give them too much on induction because otherwise they, they won't sign up to personal training. And my thought process was, I'm going to give them as much as I possibly can on induction because then they're going to think this guy must have loads in the bank to give me during training, but I'm not showcasing any real skills at that point. So it's, it's, it's a case of, as you just said, giving as much as you can in terms of education and content and stuff to your clients so they can siphon through and figure stuff out for themselves. Um, And it's super valuable, really, really valuable. And that's a process I think we need to, to go through more instead of, of kind of making people need us and require us make them want to work with us instead of, of needing to. It's good.
1: It's like McDonald's walking up to you and trying to say, we want to show you how incredible our Big Mac burger is, but we're only going to let you eat the top bit of the bun. You've just got to imagine that all the rest of it is incredible. Trust us. <laughs> honestly, this burger is incredible. You just got to believe me by tasting the top bit of the bun. And what the happens... It's dry. You get a fucking sesame caught in your tooth and all the rest <laughs> of it. Like you're right. You've got to wow your clients. Like if you come to our business, so let's take the BTN Academy right on the home page. It's like do a five day free nutrition e-course on us. And it's you get amazingly detailed, well executed, brilliant videos that give you an insight into our knowledge and how you could change with us you know, we haven't hidden anything. We haven't gone all, you know, only given 30% of the information we've given you all of a small percentage of what you could learn with us. If we don't do that, you won't see that we're incredible teachers that we teach incredible things. And that just shows how potentially there is so much work to do for a trainer. If they haven't even thought about what's the best way to market my business, because if you went and read, just three or four marketing blogs, which are free, widely available. You'd know that. Provide a yeah. best bit of your service and people will want more of your service.
0: Definitely. So what would you say then um, in terms of you're your brand new to the industry? What is, what is your top kind of tips for a new trainer? What should they be really focusing on doing? If they want to be successful, what would be your top tips for their career?
1: go and get a mentor. Go and find. So let's say you join a gym. Let's just say it's any commercial gym. And there's a trainer there that's been there for five years. He's got a full client list. He's a great guy or girl. Like they know what they're about. You know, you already know they're good. They've been there five years. They've got a full client list. Go to that trainer and say, look, dude, I'm new to this industry. I'm fresh faced. I want to be a great trainer. I can see that people in this gym respect you. Like you've got a full client list. I think you're brilliant. Can I hire you for one session every fortnight or one session a month? And one session, I'd love to shadow you with your clients. I'd love to learn what you do. And then the other session, can you tell me how to improve? Tell me what you've done. And most people, should be open and willing to do that. Like, unless they're insecure as a coach, they shouldn't, shouldn't see you as a threat. If they've got a thriving business after five years, they don't need to worry about clients. You're not a threat. And if they do feel you're a threat, then that trainer's not a very nice guy or girl. I would have advanced my career so much if I'd have dropped my ego and just asked for help. I do this now as a business owner, if I want to know how to take my business to the next level, I go and speak to people that are at the level that I'm at. If you want to be at the level of a trainer that's been working for five years and is doing incredible well, incredibly well and has got transformation after transformation after transformation and got a thriving business, go and pay that person for their knowledge. People will see that as an expense. They're like, oh God, you know, I can't afford 40 pounds a month or however much it's going to cost. It's an investment. So obviously get a little bit of money in the bank, but as soon as you can, you've got to get these people on board because yes, doing courses is great. And I implore you to do courses and do CPD, but guidance is invaluable. And I wish I would have had the foresight to have done it and not have had such an ego as such a young, a, a young trainer, I'm just luckily, yeah, lucky that I had skin in the game and did all right.
0: Yeah. Did you find then that the industry when you were doing that was, did you find it was less likely people who are less likely to, to give guidance and to offer advice and help to younger trainers?
1: Yeah. I think culturally it has shifted quite a bit. I think, mm-hmm. um, The mindset is a bit different. Don't get me wrong, it still exists. I still know plenty of gyms where it's dog eat dog. Everyone's out for themselves. Every client is up for grabs. Personally, I'd hate to work in a gym like that. And I'd try and leave a gym like that. But there's lots of gyms out there with great gym owners, great gym managers. You know, they'll push you and support you. Um, So try and find those gyms. Like if it was me, I wouldn't join any old gym. Like I do my work. If you've got the mindset where you want to be the best, the chances are most gyms will fight to have you as a trainer, even if you're fresh faced. I will take fairly inexperienced people on a staff in my business if they have the right mindset if they have the will to be better, if I can help them, if I can shape them, if I can mold them, I can make them better people. So don't feel that you're the one at the disadvantage if you've got the right mindset. If you're struggling to get a job as a trainer, you might have to look at yourself. You might not pre- be presenting the, the right kind of attitude. A gym might look at you and go, actually, don't really want you as a trainer here. So you might end up having to go and work at the gym where all the other trainers with that mindset are.
0: Yeah. I was fortunate when I was coming up that I had quite a lot of, um, quite a lot of experiences with trainers around me that were very, very happy to help. So, and it made a massive difference. And as such, I pay that forward. When there's a new trainer that wants to talk to me about something, I'm happy to talk to them because I had that same treatment. So it's, I think it's pro- possibly a product of, of your upbringing, if for want of a better phrase, when it comes to your, your, your career but certainly I was very fortunate with the people I worked with and it propelled me onto a good career. So it's, um, I think it's really vital. So that's again, really good advice. Um, but it's, I think there's, there's a lot, obviously there's a huge amount we can, we can go into in terms of that. i wanted I spoke to you on the text before if I wanted not, to talk to you. Just, just so.
1: before you do go on, um, if not, give your time away for free and learn. So if you're on your level three PT course right now, but you're, working full-time in a bar or doing admin or whatever while you do your training, go and work in a gym two nights a week for free and observe, go and watch incredible coaches do what they do and be a sponge to it, but give something to allow you to get that opportunity.
0: Yeah. No good gym manager is going to deny you the chance to walk the floor for free. um, If you're showing willing uh, for sure. Um, Yeah. Good advice. So, Tell me then, cause I asked you questions before about, particularly obviously with COVID um, and this was a little while ago, but also in terms of um, like gut, gut health and bacteria and immunity. So I've read bits and pieces about COVID that suggest vitamin D is a really important um, addition in a diet uh, or in addition to you. So um, in, in, in the help of, of looking for, for additional immunity to things. What sort of research have you done, if any, um, to do with that and also the gut? Because obviously the gut is you know, a, a key area when it comes to health and, and wellness and immunity as well.
1: Sure. Um, so just so you know, I need to go in five minutes because uh, I'll be in trouble with the wife. Um, so with the gut and COVID and stuff, I think it's very hard to draw any conclusions on anything because what we're seeing is sort of uh, correlative data on individuals that are already in a compromised situation. So, what I mean by that is if you were to look at the correlative data around vitamin D and COVID, a lot of the people that are dying or becoming very ill from COVID are A, not very well and healthy themselves. So, they've got a compromised immune system, which means they probably don't eat well, they don't get outside enough, and they don't get enough vitamin D. B, they're elderly. And we know that a lot of elderly people do not have good vitamin D levels. So already we've got skewed data and because we don't actually have the science to back it up, we've just got correlation. I think it's very dangerous to then make assumptions of like, Oh, go and take so-and-so and and you'll be protected against COVID. I think that would be very Mm -hmm. short sighted. And I've seen trainers share um, sort of news articles and stuff around this. And I'm like, that's pretty poor critical thinking that's not you going into the research and really looking at why this is happening and the mechanisms around it to look more broadly you can never argue that a diet that is sufficient in terms of macro and micronutrients is not going to support the gut and then focusing in more on a broad range of beneficial bacteria that has pre and probiotics in it so eating things like Yogurt with live bacteria in it, uh, sauerkraut, you know, having uh, kimchi, kombucha, um, you know, things like artichokes, sweet potatoes that have a good level of pro, uh, pro, uh, prebiotic in it. Sorry. Um, so the thing with trainers is they can go down a rabbit hole of gut health, mm-hmm. but most people miss the fact that a really broad, really diverse, really nutrient dense diet is going to do 95% of the good work when it comes to gut health. And if a trainer really doesn't know this topic, they shouldn't be dealing with it because they're going to make assumptions around people's gut health. Like clients will come to you and they're like, oh, I'm intolerant to so-and-so. And And they're like, well, how did that happen? Did you do a test? Oh yeah, I did a test off Groupon, cost me 40, 40 quid or whatever. And it's like, well, firstly, that's probably rubbish. Secondly, are you going to be the trainer that steps in there and then goes, Oh, you need this diet for so-and-so based on a test that costs 40 pound off Groupon. it's like, we're now moving into space that trainers like shouldn't be in uh, yes. unless they have the right kind of information, you know, and credentials behind them to be able to work with a client like that. And the chances are you would still take the same approach with a client. You would strip back their diet, you would look at potential allergens, you'd make their diet really healthy, you'd get them to lose weight, which improves all metabolic markers anyway. So weight loss is always the way to improve things like diabetes, uh, insulin uh, issues, all of that kind of stuff. So fat loss is always the solution to better metabolic health. Um, So yeah, we teach it in our nutrition courses, it's like never go specific until you've been general. Mm -hmm. Most people have not done most of the work to really improve general health to then see specific health improve.
0: Right. That makes perfect sense because you hear and it it tends, things tend to pop up and become kind of on trend, I guess. And certainly things like gut health are starting to creep into more mainstream uh, vernacular. Right. And people are understanding a bit more or or seeing a bit more of this sort of thing. Um, It's not new as such, but it's newer by comparison. So it can be easy to kind of go all in on just focusing on foods that are gonna help my gut because that's what is currently the best, the most important thing. Um, so I wanted to get it from the, from the horse's mouth and speak to you about this sort of thing because I think that that's, it's someone I can converse with who's gonna put it in a way that, is, that makes sense. Um, but it's, you know, we've, we've heard about fermentation processes and food and so on. Um, what, what sort of things, if people are having, you know, poor gut health, I don't mean intolerances and stuff like that, but if they're what sort of things are going to ravage that gut biome?
1: Again, it, there's a lot that could be delved into. There's nothing mm-hmm. broadly that I would want to sort of say, don't eat this food or don't do that because it's going to kind of rab- ravage your d- gut health. Again, when you take a food intolerance, anyone can be intolerant to pretty much any food source. So you could argue that, if Jane is intolerant to strawberries and peaches, then strawberries and peaches will cause real havoc to her gut health. And over time mm-hmm. that might put her at a real health disadvantage. So this is where you have to take an individualized approach. We can't stand here and say gluten's bad or dairy's yeah. bad or nightshades are bad. They're bad for some people, but that doesn't mean for everyone. And that's why when it comes to gut health, you work very general. And then when the specific problem is still there, you take a very specific, very targeted approach that either involves testing or a prolonged elimination diet.
0: Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I know you've got to go. So I appreciate your time. Um, <laughs> finally, we've managed to get this done. So I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and thanks ever so much for doing this again. I do really appreciate it. Mate, dude, it's been a pleasure.
1: Hopefully trainers that are listening to this will get something out of it. All I would ask trainers that are listening is just stand back, take a breath, really think about your coaching approach, what values you have, what coach you want to be in in the future, what journey you have to go on to be that coach where you have to develop, what you have to read, who you have to follow. And um, yeah, all I'll say is if you want to learn about nutrition, Google the BTN Academy. If we fit, Awesome. If not, all good. But all I would say is have high standards and be an incredible coach and enjoy the journey.